Good morning, everyone. Can we do the awake, awake, oh my soul, so that everybody stays awake? Sort of like I just thought when we were singing that, crikey, you should have done that halfway through what I'm going to say. You. I, I'm not a preacher, so you're not going to get a sermon this morning. Uh, I have a, a, a walk with God that each one of us has if we've been born again. And I, when we tell that story, I really believe that it's really, really powerful. And uh, John Gates sent me an email and said, hey, Rob, would you give your testimony this Sunday and also tell people a little bit about what you do here in China? And so I'm like, okay, yeah, I think it's the first time I've ever preached here, so it's sort of all been up and taken this segment of the service, but uh, so bear with me if I wander around. My wife tells me often that I tend to waffle, so she's hiding at the moment at the back there. I can't see her. She gives me a little bit of comfort, yeah. I was born 1948, so I'm old, okay? Uh, 67 years old. My dad was a youth leader uh, in the Anglican church, and he came out of a Brethren and Baptist background, so he was a funny mixture, really. But unfortunately, he was one of those youth pastors that had a son that really wasn't interested in church or anything. I mean, I, I basically used to go along to the youth group to see if there were any decent girls there. That was it. That, that, that was the level of my commitment to my poor father's youth group, you know? And so he would... Yeah, he, he was the one with the errant son, the, the black sheep, if you like. And so I often think back to that. And I mean, I, I've got one a bit like that now that's living in Italy, you know, and it sort of gives me a little bit of comfort that God, God hasn't forgotten about me, you know, that sort of uh, he, he thinks that I'm really precious and he, he thought it was special. But So I grew up in a very religious background. I mean, we weren't allowed television. We weren't allowed anything, really. I mean... Uh, we couldn't have anything on on Sunday. We couldn't go out to eat on Sundays. We just went to church three times. And that, that was my upbringing was a very religious background. So needless to say, as a teenager, I sort of kicked against it. And I, 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 I wanted to have nothing to do with it at all. I finally got married to my first wife. And we had our first child. And then we moved to New Zealand. When we arrived in New Zealand, I was offered a job working at a factory that made woodworking knives, for those that you know what those are. But anyway, it's, it, the guy that actually ran that factory was a, a very gentle guy. Uh, he had been in the war. He gave his life to Christ in a foxhole in the war, like I think many soldiers have done. You know, They, uh, they get down there and realize that Wow, I might not get out of this. And he made a commitment to God that he would, he would serve him from that day onwards if he got him out of that hole. And God got him out of the hole. But uh, he ran this little company. God blessed the company. And he was very much a part of the Gideons that put Bibles all around hotels and things like that. And so I, I went into this environment not knowing that he was a Christian, actually. When I took the job, I didn't know. So he was sort of not like my dad, but he was, he was in a similar thing, a very conservative church, very conservative background. I went into the factory and I found out he'd got two sons that were similar age to me who were completely off the wall, totally 
off the wall. One of them drove around in a hearse. They, but they were super strong Christians. And they started witnessing to me, especially one of the, the sons started witnessing to me and talking to me about Jesus. Well, you know, I mean, I knew everything about Jesus. I knew everything about religion. So I could argue really well back with him, you know. But I don't think I ever won an argument with Stuart. I, I mean, I just didn't. But they sort of impressed me that they were very, very different to what I'd seen as Christians. They were not, they were not the, the normal pattern, if you like. And so... Um, uh, yeah, anyway, it, I, I was sort of feeling there was something going on. Well, one of the things I never do is talk to God, or I never did, was talk to God. And I went for a job interview one day, and I remember standing outside, I think it was a little church, but I remember standing outside this church talking to God, and he was talking back to me, and it was weird. And I mean, I'm like, I wasn't a Christian at that point. I'm not, I hadn't made any commitment whatsoever. I just, I know in my mind I was talking to this person, whoever it was. I mean, I knew it was God. But, and, and there was just this conversation going on. And I was talking to him about going to this job interview. And the, the, there was something like, it was like a friend had come along. And you know, there's a scripture in the Word that says, no man comes to the Father unless the Father draws him. You know, and I think that, that, for me, was a point where God really started to draw me. And I went off to that job interview. I didn't get the job, whatever. The, the, went back to work and carried on working. One day, one of the guys at work came in, and he gave me a, a newspaper that was being printed by their, some of their friends called Living Waters. And it was published, actually, by a guy called Ray Comfort, who actually still got a big ministry in the U.S. nowadays. But... Uh, on the front page of that, there was this picture of Jesus, only it was written in, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, whoever believes in him shall inherit eternal life. And it was just written in text, and it was just this picture of Jesus on the front. And there was something about this, book, this, this newspaper that really was speaking to my heart, and it was like, read me, read me, read me, sort of thing, you know? So I hid the newspaper in my car, because I didn't want my wife getting all religious. That, that was scared the living daylights out of me. You know, that, yeah, it was bad enough me looking at things like that, but to share it with my wife was going, taking a step too far. And so I hid it in the car. That night I had to go up and babysit for some friends of ours. And so I drove up the hill to babysit for them, got out the car, took this newspaper with me. And the friends, we sort of said hi, and they went, they left me at home. They left me a couple of bottles of beer on the counter. And I remember sitting having this conversation with God, you know, like, okay, I'll read your newspaper if you tell me where the bottle opener is, you know? I wanted to drink the beer. And I'm like, it was, I, I can't remember whether I ever found the bottle opener or not. But anyway, suffice to tell that I, I sat and read this newspaper cover to cover. And it was basically just people my age giving their testimonies about how they'd met Christ and how... He'd impacted their lives and really changed their lives. Well, by the end of the babysitting time, the parents had come back. I go back down home. And it was about 11.30 at night. And I walked in and sat with my first wife and said, hey, you need to read this. And she was watching a horror movie at the time, so sort of like it went one direction to another. So she sat and we read the newspaper together. 
And I really knew that I, I needed to know more about Jesus. I needed to know more about what this was about. So 12.30 at night, I ring my friend up, Stu, that I worked with. This is after midnight. And I said, Stu, can you come around and tell us more about this Jesus stuff? And uh, Stuart very graciously said, are you for real? And I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm for real. You know, come and talk to me. And uh, he said, oh, that's why I had such a really crap day. Sort of really just like, you know, this was Stuart. And so Stuart turns up at our front door and he slides the door open. He walked in and he went, oh, my goodness me, you guys are for real. And I'm like, yeah, what are you on about, you know? He came in, sat down, talked to us. You know, what he felt when he walked into that room was God's presence. And he felt, you know, that anointing from Jesus that was telling him, this is for real. These guys, they're going to they're gonna change their lives from here on. And so that night, I got down on my knees with my wife and at the time, and we gave our lives to Christ. And he changed things. I mean, the next day... I'm not a really good reader. In fact, yeah, I, I, I have ADD, so that's why my mind goes in all different directions. So I don't read very well. But for weeks after that, all I did was pick up my Bible and just read and read and read and read and read. I just couldn't get enough of it. God put us in a church that, oh, first of all, God, yeah, one of the first things I read was that, you know, Jesus was baptized. And it was like, it was the, one of the first things he tells us to do. And I'm like, I need to be baptized, you know. So they took us down to the beach in Brighton, in Christchurch in New Zealand, and baptized us. Freezing cold water, just like here, really, in a way. But, but then God put us in a funny situation in churches. He put me in a congregational church, which is a very conventional in New Zealand. It's a very conventional church. I don't think anybody at the church was under 60 years old. I mean, I'm like... What have you done to me, God? You know, you've stuck me in this place. I, one of the, the first Sundays I was in there, I was sitting at the back and I opened a scripture in Isaiah and it says, I'm going to burst forth springs of living water in the midst of dry places. So I'm like, I wanted to jump up and yell this from the front of the church, you know, but uh, fortunately I didn't. Yeah, but, uh, but he also put us close to Stuart, my friend, and his friends. And they were part of a little group that used to meet on a Monday night. And so he took me along to the meeting. We walk into this meeting and it's in a living room of somebody's house and it was absolutely packed with people. And it was some of the most amazing music that I've ever heard in my life. And there were people there that were singing in tongues. They were singing and then they would sing the interpretation. There were people there that were prophesying and, and giving out words to different people in the room. And this is like, this isn't church. This isn't what church is about. You know, church is you're meant to be sitting in the pews. This was every single person in that room was involved in what was going on in the worship service. And they were bringing things for one another, you know, and it was like completely different, completely alive. I mean, it was an amazing experience. So I grew up with a foot in two camps, if you like. I grew up on Sunday morning going to the congregational church and on Monday morning, going off to this wild, charismatic, Pentecostal, whatever you want to call it, group that was there. And so my experience as a Christian had a broad scope in many ways. We 
One little story about that group. I mean, it just highlights what was going on. And I, got a, I went in to see one of my customers one day. He, uh, he was a buyer at one of the big companies that I was selling to. I walked into his office, sat down, he said, hey, Rob, he said, you've got to go around and see some of my mates. And I said, why? And he said, well, he said, I don't know what's going on. He said, but he said, they've, they've all become Christians. He said, they're living in this house. He said, and they told me that the other day that God just came in and they've all become Christians. And he said, I don't know what it is because he wasn't a Christian, but he knew I was. But, and he said, you've got to go around and see them. And so I got one of my friends from the group. We both went around to see this house. It was by the side of the river in Christchurch, and it was full of a crowd of, for want of a better word, a crowd of hippies, or a crowd of druggies. I mean, it, we walked in there, both Mel and I, and God was smack in the middle of that house. And what had happened two nights before was that they were all high on whatever drugs they were taking, and suddenly every single one of them came out of that high, and they started looking for a Bible. They found a Bible, they started to read it together. You know, God just moved and, and anointed them and saved them. Why? They didn't do anything to deserve it. They didn't do anything at all. They, didn't, they weren't even asking for it, but God decided that he was going to draw them now and he was going to do it in a miraculous way. And so all of these kids, well, they were sort of our age, but they, they all were born again. And then they started asking us, would you baptize us? And so we started ringing around all our local pastors and saying, hey, would you baptize these kids? And, oh, well, they've got to come to our baptism classes. And they, you know, we're watching these kids who just got saved by God, whose God's told them to be baptized. We're watching their faith levels going down. You know, why, why, is, why have we got to wait? Why, why, why? And I'm like, we, we, my friend and I, we just called our friends and we said, hey, we'll baptize you in the river. You know, we baptized them in the river then. But so the environment that when I was a young Christian was one that was alive and exciting and very, very much the full presence of God. You know, that sort of, well, not the full presence of God, but just tiny little droplets of what it's going to be like in heaven. And uh, so time goes on. Uh, I, you know, for me as a Christian, I, I thought I was on the right track. Everything was going really well. But I slipped into a really dark time, and my wife as well. And our marriage was falling apart. It was a really, really bad time. And uh, I, I was sort of, we moved from New Zealand and we'd gone to Australia. We were living in Australia. By then, we'd got three children. Things were going really, really wrong. And I was, one night, very late at night, I was at the end of my tether and I was walking down the road in uh, Adelaide in Australia and there was a telephone box which we had in Australia in those days and I just walked into this telephone box I think I was going to make, call somebody I opened up the pages of the telephone box and do you want to put that slide at the first one and inside this telephone box is, is this tract you know just a little religious tract just inside the pages somebody would tuck it in there no, go back one. And written on that was this scripture. It was just a picture of a palm of a hand. And it says, behold, I've inscribed your name on my hands. 
And I mean, if I was at a, ever at a low time in my Christian walk, if you like, if you want to call it that, even just in my life, it was at that point in time. And it was that point in time that God decided to give me this little bit of paper that said, I've written your name on the palm of my hand. And I'm like, you know, I, I broke down and I cried and I wept. And I knew that in all the mess and everything else that was around me, his, my name was on his hand. My name was there, it was written. You know, there's, there's a saying in the church that says it's not all about you. I'd like to argue, and I know the guy that wrote that saying is a very famous preacher, but I'd like to argue and say no. It is all about you. Every single one of you that's sitting here, God loves you. Absolutely, intimately. No matter what you've done. No matter what mess you're in. No matter what's gone wrong in your life. God loves you. And he cares about you and he's written your name on the palm of his hands, you know. So, for me, that was a very big lesson, you know. My first marriage broke up. And then, let me just check my notes because I've maybe forgotten something. Yeah, my first marriage broke up and I ended up meeting my lovely wife, Joyce, at the back there. You want to stand up? No, you don't want to stand up. She's too shy. But uh, I met Joyce. Her marriage had broken up. We had both had three children. By then, I'd really turned my life around in many ways. Or no, I hadn't turned my life around. God had turned my life around and brought me back to him. I was walking in a much better place. We, one of the things that all through our courtship and, and the things that, that went on around us was God would, all he would ever say to me was, trust me, trust me. And I got really mad at God at times, you know, and so like, will you say something else to me other than trust me? And I'm like, how stupid is that, you know? It's sort of like, it's a silly thing, but... You know, you want God to tell you what's going to happen in the future. You want him to tell you and he explain to you and tell you why you're in that situation, why this isn't working, why your marriage has fallen apart. All of those things you want him to explain. And he says, trust you, you know, trust him rather. And so for me, that was, that was what I was doing. And uh, Joyce and I, we got married. We had three children each living with us. So we ended up with six children. Then my wife, my lovely wife says, I want another one just to bond the family together. I'm like, crying out loud, we've got six kids. We don't need another kid, you know. But we, we ended up with another child, so we had seven of our children. Uh, we were living at the time in Australia. We went then to uh, live in New Zealand, and then from there, we came to China. And, and that sort of really turned things around for us. Uh, when we first came to China, actually flick the next slide and go to the, one, the first foster home one. We, um, when we first came to China, I think you can flick to the next one as well. Nobody will be able to read that, so I'll tell you what it says. Hey, is that okay? I put that up there for me more than anybody else. When we came to China, we went to visit an orphanage. My wife is a medical doctor. And we went into an orphanage in Tianjin, and uh, it's like going back 20 years now. So it was a very different place to what it is today. And what we saw in that orphanage was 
These babies that have got nothing, absolutely nothing. There were two, three babies in a cot. It stank of urine. They had bits of rag wrapped down them for diapers. These were sick babies that should have been being cared for, and they had nothing. There was nobody in the rooms, nothing at all. And I know that most of the time in there, we both cried. One child for me, I picked the child up, and they pointed to the window, and it's like, take me out of here, you know, or let me look out of the window. I don't know what the little one was trying to say, but it was... It was a point in time for me that God really honed in on me and said, you know, there's a need here. And we came out of that orphanage and we stood at the gates of the orphanage and prayed and said, Lord, we never ever want to come back here unless we can do something to really change things. You know, I believe for me that there was a part of me that was saying, Lord, I never want to come back. This is not a comfortable place. This is something that... I, I didn't really want to see. You know, we've got seven healthy kids. I, we're not thinking about adopting. I, yeah. But we went back home with a burden to, to see whether there was anything that we could do. And there was nothing for anything we could be done. There was a TV program that exposed the orphanages in China to show people outside in the world what they were like. So the government closed them down for a couple of years. You couldn't get near them as a foreigner. We were on a four-year contract with the company that I worked for. Uh, we were coming to the end of the contract. I remember it was my 50th birthday, and uh, I, I, I'm, my birthday's 2nd of November. It's long enough away for nobody to remember, so that's good. But it was, it was my birthday. I got up in the morning, I just read my Bible, and I said, Lord, there has to be more to life than balance sheets and selling tungsten carbide and what I'd been doing for the last 20 years. And so I, I, I remember making that prayer. I, one thing I can say to you is be really careful what you pray. You know, one word of advice as a Christian is really be careful what you pray because God does listen and he does answer. Not all of those prayers in a visible way, but he answers some of them. So you've got to be really careful. But I prayed and said, Lord, there must be more to life than that, than what I'm doing, you know. Well, about two or three days later, Joyce and I went to a meeting with some friends of ours that had a factory here. Joyce was actually the shareholder in the factory. She was selling refrigerator magnets out of her doctor's bag, which was quite funny, really. And uh, she didn't want to go. So she sat at the meeting, arms crossed, didn't say a word. They were talking about buying a piece of land and building the community centre. And so we, uh, we, we were just, lots of discussions about that. The meeting was over, we finished, we got in the car, and Joyce turned around to me and she said, oh no, I turned around to Joyce and I said, what do you think about everything that's being said there, you know? What, what do you think about it all? And she said, I don't know, she said... I think God's asking us to get into a river. I have no idea where we're going to end up in that river, but I'd like to ask these guys for a third of the land they're going to buy. We'll build our home, we'll build a small foster home, and I want to look after sick babies. I want to stay in China. And I'm like, what? Where did I come from? Because <laughs> we had had no discussion. I'm not, honestly, this is no word of a lie. We'd had no discussion about anything like this previous to this. It was completely out of the blue. And I think even Joyce now sort of doesn't 
really know why she said it, you know. I'm sort of certain that it was God that was speaking through it. She, it was sort of like he just took over and spoke those words, you know. And so we did. We asked the people that we, we were partners with if we could have some of the land, and they said yes. And so we started out into ministry uh, in a weird way, because my company that I worked for, they actually kept me on staff for 12 months, so I gave me my car and everything and kept our kids in school. So we sort of started ministry on an expat package, which wasn't bad, really. It was, it was, for those of you that know what missionary work can be like, it's sort of like a little bit different. But we, we moved into our apartment on the 1st of April, 1999. So, you know, I'm looking at this going, Lord, you really do have a sense of humor. You know, you've got these two idiots that are stepping out with absolutely no idea where we're going to end up on the 1st of April, on April Fool's Day, you know? So we, we started the first foster home. We, well, we, we, we were starting to build the first home. We did go back to that orphanage. We asked the orphanage. By then, we decided that we would look after babies that were under six months old that had a physical problem we could, we could help with. And uh, that seemed to be a good way to do it. The other thing we felt really strongly about, we wanted to look after those kids as if they were our own kids as well. You know, we didn't want to, uh, you know, treat these in any less way. You know, they they were going to become part of our family. We were going to treat them as our family. And that's how we would set the standard for what we did. So our children were on at us. We had two children with us at the time. They were on at us to get a baby. And so we, we went back to that orphanage for the first time asked the orphanage director to give us a baby under six months old with a physical problem we could fix. And so she gave us this little bundle called Gong Lin Lin. Uh, little baby, five months old. She had a large growth on her shoulder, which was fixable. And I remember carrying the, the baby down the steps of the orphanage thinking, wow, this is cool. You know, you're, you're going to get that fixed and you're going to be adopted and we're going to make a difference to this little one. What we didn't realize was that she'd make a big difference to us because uh, that's, you will see her here sometimes when she comes to church. At, uh, that's our 16-year-old daughter now, Caitlin Hill. And so we ended up adopting our first foster child. But we went on from there and we would take other babies from the orphanage. And you know, one of the things that I've learned uh, is that being a Christian definitely doesn't guarantee you an easy life. You know, up until this point, my Christian life, you know, I look at some of it and some of it was my fault. And I'm like, you know, I, I, I was the one that blew it. I was the one that made the mistakes. But, you know, we, it, it's not always like that. And I think that sometimes when things go bad, one of our automatic responses is to say, oh, I didn't do something right. I didn't read my Bible enough. Or I, I looked at something that I shouldn't have looked at on the internet. I, I've done all these things, you know, that, that's why it's gone wrong. You know, that's why this isn't working. That's why that's gone wrong. And You know, that's, that's an absolute lie. It isn't about what you've done. You know, Josh, sorry to trouble you. Can you flick back to that song? I love this song. You know, it says there's nothing that you can do could make him love you any more. And there's nothing that you've ever done 
that will make him close that door. And it's because of his great love that he gave his only son. Everything was done so that you would come, you know. And so when we're standing there in that condemnation that Satan's throwing at us, because it is a battle, you know, and Satan stands before God and he says, look, look what, look what Robin's been doing. Look, look, look what he's been doing. But Jesus stands in between Satan and God. And Jesus says, no, look at me. Don't look at Robin, look at me. And you know, the, there are times when you're doing things right that stuff goes wrong. And there are times when you're doing things wrong when stuff will go right. So, you know, it's not an automatic assumption that, that it's you that's at fault. And so, with our first foster home, we, there was a massive conflict built up and we they end up throwing us out sort of thing. So they told us we were no good. We shouldn't be in ministry. We shouldn't even be in China. We, we weren't cut out for doing this, this job. Sorry, yeah, that was me. We weren't cut out for doing this job. And, you know, everything that we thought was right with God suddenly was just blown away. We lost the first foster home. We lost our home. Everything just went. And we're both standing there like, what on earth did we do wrong? I know Joyce is absolutely broken because these were her kids. The, the babies that we were looking after, I think there were 18 of them then, were our children. And, and suddenly to have to walk away from them and just leave them there and walk away from what we'd seen God so miraculously start up was like, what, 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 what went wrong with that? But God was really clear with me that he said, look, you know, unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it will not bear fruit. And, you know, I watched what that ministry was die. I mean, it still continues today. I mean, the, the foster home that they run. But for, as far as we were concerned, it died. But I've seen since what God meant when he said, you know, there will be a big harvest. And so what we've watched since has been God raise up that seed and, and, and do some amazing things. I completely lost my track. Okay, let's go back. So we, we, we left the first foster home. That's right, that's where I was at. Uh, we left the first foster home. We moved to uh, where we are today out in Shunyi. God gave us a building. Uh, he gave us three loyal local employees that have stood by us ever since who came with us and he gave us a building and he, he created what you look at as New Hope Foundation and you know everybody comes up to us and says oh you're wonderful you've done a marvellous work and you've done this and I'm like yeah well if you knew me really well you wouldn't think I was so wonderful but you know it's God that's the one that's done this because for me it's, it's one of those pictures of the, the ridiculously wasteful grace that God has for each of us. And, you know, that he would take the least of the least in China, the, the tiny orphans that everybody's, you know, that have been thrown away, and he would give them the very best. Because, you know, the kids that come into our care, one of the things that we've seen over and over again is God hasn't just provided for them, He's provided the best surgeons that there are for them. He hasn't, you know, it hasn't been just okay. They've got the very best. And sometimes these kids come into our care, they're with us for two, three months, 
and they pass away. Yet God has wasted all these resources on these children that passed away. And you go, what was that about? But for me, that's a picture of God's grace for us, each one of us. You know, it's a wasteful grace by the world's terms, but in God's eyes, it's because he loves each one of us. And so for me, almost daily, the, the, the foster home is a reminder of that. And so, you know, the little mantra there that's to comfort always, I'm really glad it's written up there because I always forget it, to comfort always, relieve often, and save sometimes. That came from Joyce's dean at the hospital at the, where she was trained at. And he was an old guy. What, what religion was he? A Sikh? You don't know. Hindu, yeah. And, but he had a heart for people and loving people, and he put that in Joyce. And she has a heart for these kids in a way that I, I just stand in awe sometimes and see. And you know, Joyce had a... We, yeah, we went over another waterfall where Joyce had a stroke a few years ago. And she's passed the baton over to Steve Martin, who sometimes comes to our fellowship here. But, you know, he has a heart for these children. That, that baton has been passed on for these kids that we care for. So, okay, next slide, Josh. So this is just really a little bit of a... The next one. A little bit of an introduction as to what we do. So we've gone from having our unit in Beijing, which is in Shunyi, to having... Four other units, there were five, but we, one of them's closed down at the moment. But the four other units in Henan province. Totally, we look after around about 300 babies at any one time. And so, you know, what God has done has really amazed us because we never envisaged this would grow into what it has, you know. Okay, next slide, Josh. So out here in Beijing, we've got a... It's a small unit, but it cares for 45 babies. We employ 85 staff to, to look after those babies. And it's set up, you know, so that, yeah, the babies can come from all over China to, to, to that unit in Beijing because it's not part of an orphanage. The other units we have are parts of orphanages. Okay, next slide. We have a system where each nanny cares for three babies and work an eight-hour shift. So that the, the nannies and the children become their mom. You know, they, they have sort of like three moms. Next slide. And we try to make the places really bright. You know, that we would be happy if it's our kids living in that. I mean, I, I, yeah, when, when things start to look a bit scruffy, I get antsy, so I get it repainted. So it's sort of a, it's a clean environment for the kids. Next slide. Kids and the nannies all eat together. Sort of like a family atmosphere. We have a lot of birthday parties go on in the canteen as well. Next slide. We also run a kindergarten, which uh, is run by Becca, one of our employees. And that, we always, that's all, the kindergarten's always in English. And so we, we try to give these kids a little bit of language skills because most of the kids that come to us in Beijing, they are, uh, end up being adopted to the US. Next one. Next one, Josh. Just a few of the babies that we've cared for. This is Jay, or Jing Tai. He was born where his bladder was on the outside of his body, inside out. So it's a major thing to be repaired. Uh, but he ended up with a fan club from Hong Kong that 
on a weekend, some of the women from Hong Kong, when he was with us, used to fly up to Beijing and play with him because he went to Hong Kong for surgery and they used to come up and play with Ai Tai, you little rascal. Next slide. Rebecca was another one that had a, a, a bladder extrophy. And I put Rebecca up because she was the start of what we call our special care units. A friend uh, rang us up and said, look, I've just found this baby, and it was Rebecca that she'd found, uh, that's got a bladder extrophy. She's been put in their dying room. What, what do we, what, can you do anything with this baby? And Joyce said, yeah, well, I'm sure we can find somewhere to get that baby fixed. And so the baby came up to Beijing, and Joyce ended up actually taking the baby to Australia to be fixed. But we, she went back, Joyce on the phone call, went back to the lady and said, what do you mean, their dying room? And she said, well, at the back of the orphanage, they've got a room where if they've got a baby they don't expect is going to live, that's severely disabled, they just put the baby in there, close the door, come back a week later, take away the body. And... You know, I don't believe there's anything evil in those motives. I just don't, they just did not know what to do with those children. And so we went to the orphanage director and said, hey, instead of doing that, would you give us those babies? And so that started off the units that we have in Hernan province. And basically, they give us the very worst of the babies that they get. They give us the babies that are not expected to live. But go back to the slide before, would you, Josh? The one before? One before. Little Rebecca there was one of those babies. She was going to be put in that room. You know, God's hand was obviously in the middle of that and said, no, you're not. I'm going to take you out and I'm going to do something with your life. You know, she ended up having her bladder fixed and she's been adopted. She's living in the USA. Yeah. I'll flip through a couple. Little Kirk is a typical example of a baby that comes into our unit. It's actually the first baby that came into our Zhenzhou unit. But that's a picture of him three months later, you know, which is a, a lovely transformation that you see. And this little guy is fat and chubby. Okay, next slide. Little Anna came to us and she had a, a myelocil, which is spina bifida, which is like a, it's the size of a football on her back. She had surgery with a Hong Kong neurosurgeon that we use. And that's a picture of her in a wheelchair race in America. She was winning and she won the, the race. So you can see the little bright light there. Next slide. This little girl, two or three days before this, she was in Beijing United on a respirator. So these are what we do to our heart babies. We give them aerobics lessons, you know. One of our nurses took that video, and I can never resist putting it up because it, she's such a little cutie. She's gone on to do really well. But, uh, okay, next slide. So, you know, Joyce and I, what we do isn't about us. It's, it's, you know, it's about what God's been doing. And, uh, you know, we looked after over 2,500 babies since we started doing this in 2000. And God's enabled us, uh, has walked with us every step of the way, regardless of how good or how bad we are, regardless of how spiritual or non-spiritual we are. You know, God's the one that's been the one that's been doing this, and we've just watched him do something really beautiful. Okay, next one. I think that really, for me, says it all. 
Because it is him that's making that difference. It's him that's the one that's actually doing all of this. Okay, thank you guys.